Hey, I'm Stephen Billings, and thanks for checking out this message today. We're so glad you're here and would love to connect with you. You can text 97000 with the words River Connect to share any prayer requests or just to say hello. It would be so great to hear from you. Lastly, if you would like to give to the River Church today, you can give by texting the amount that you would like to give to 84321. You can also head to our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the page as well. Thanks again for joining us, and I hope you have a blessed day. Well, as I said earlier, today we are completing our series in the study of Revelation, and it has been 19 weeks. We started the, uh, we started the first week um, before, or right after Easter, actually. And so we are finishing up Revelation this morning. And uh, I'm excited. I'm excited about what God has for us today. I'm excited that uh, um, what we get to hear, because it's the last chapter in Revelation. But there's some verses I'd like to read for us this morning that just kind of set the tone for where we're headed today. And they're not on the screen. I just want you to sit back and listen. All right? So let's start. Psalm 34.3 says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. Psalm 66.5-6 says, Come and see what the Lord has done. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. He turned the sea into dry land and they passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in him. Psalm 95, 1 to 2 says, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Now, those of you that think you can't sing, that's okay. God didn't say to make a good noise. He said to make a joyful one. All right? So sing with all your might. All right? Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving and let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. Isaiah 1.18 says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Isaiah 55, 1-3, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come and buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make you an ever, with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Matthew 4.19, and he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Mark ten twenty one. and Jesus looking at him loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go and sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And then Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. God has been inviting people to come to him from the beginning of time. He has, since Adam and Eve ate from the tree at the knowledge of good and evil, God has written his story of redemption and salvation over every single age of time. Sin entered the world and, and God already had a plan to restore our relationship to him from the beginning. He knew that the choice that love required would end in our sin, but the reality of love requires there be a choice between good and evil. 
There is good and evil, and he knew that we would choose evil, and God would provide a sacrifice of his son to stand in the gap, to take the blow. The entirety of the Old Testament looks forward to the coming of this saving king that would make all things right, that king that would save his people, that would build the kingdom of God that he intended for his people. The king came, and this is the story of how God's kingdom came to earth through Jesus. Let's watch this. The king has returned. The prophecies fulfilled. The years of longing are over. The king has returned. And now all will be made right. Amidst shouts of praise and tears of joy, the pleading for justice, the cries for our enemies' defeat. The king has returned. The king who was driven from his land as an infant, who spent his first years as a refugee, who understands pain and suffering. But this king is not who we were looking for. This king brings justice, not over our enemies, but in the midst of our enemies. He brings peace, not in our land, but in our souls. He is the answer to the prayer we did not know we were praying. The king has returned. Long live the king. The king is dead. The hand that once held a branch now gripped a hammer. The king is dead. This king of kings who embraced the very nature of a servant. This prince of peace broken for us. This commander of angels surrendered cross. This king joins us in our suffering, empathizes in our weakness, and he calls us to die with him, to lay down our lives, to live in surrender that we may be fully alive. The king is dead. king is not gone forever. The story has not ended. There is a twist. A third act. There is a third day. And on that third day, the king will strip death of its power and extinguish the sting of Hades. This king is not defeated. This king is not destroyed. This king is the resurrection. He is the life. He is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. The king has returned, leaving death behind. 
destroying hate, inviting us all to live in his victory, in his kingdom, in his peace. Yes, the king has risen. started way before the end. The king was dead, but he came to life. See, the king was welcomed. He came to save his people from more than oppression on this earth. He saved us from the oppression of ourselves, our sin. He saved us not from the tyranny of a ruler, but from the tyranny of slavery to sin. He broke chains, not in a dungeon, but the prison of everything that held us back from what he created us for. So he was killed, he was murdered, he was slain for others, and he called for the forgiveness of the people that nailed him to that very cross. He cried out, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And you know, that, those words always astonish me, because when he was looking into the eyes of those people, he forgave them. And when he called the father, upon the Father to forgive them, because they didn't know what they're doing, but that, I think that call is deeper, because he looks in my eyes, And he sees the same person that cried for his crucifixion. And he forgives me too. And he looks into your eyes. And he offers forgiveness to you as well. So that we could be forgiven. But the story didn't end there because he walked alive out of the tomb on the third day. And he's alive today. He is alive today. The king returned But the story still isn't over because Jesus in his second advent is coming again. The king is returning and he will once and for all set all things right. He will set all things right. But he waits because in 2 Peter 3.9, God's word says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He is waiting to come back because there are more people that need to come to Jesus Christ as their Savior. He's waiting because he loves you. He will set things right, but he's waiting so that people can come to him. This, gets us, this kind of gives us the story that sets the tone for this final chapter of the book of Revelation. I have enjoyed this series. I mean, I, I, I didn't even know it was 19 weeks. I've been keeping track each week. I have the numbers in, in, my, in, my, in my little you know, file title when I'm writing every week, and it's in my computer. And I would look this morning, and I'm at like, 19 weeks. It's crazy. I haven't felt like it's been that long. Maybe you have. You're like, yes, we're finally done with the revelation. I don't know. Maybe that's where we're at. But I, I just, again, when I looked at this series at the beginning, I come from a very conservative um, background where we focus so much on the timeline and knowing exactly where everything happens and this happens here and this happens there and all this stuff. And, but when we came to this, we had a, a purpose and it was to find Jesus. It wasn't about timelines. It wasn't about knowing at all. It was about knowing Jesus. And that's really what the book of Revelation is about. It's revealing him more and more and what's to come and what our, what our hope is and also what judgment is coming. And God doesn't share that with us to, to show how, how, how angry he is. He shares that with us because he says, I don't want you to experience it. Because he offers salvation through the cross of Jesus Christ. 
And this book is written to all of us. I mean, it was written to the seven churches. We learned that in the first few weeks. Uh, There was many issues in those churches. There was many opportunities they had to serve God and to be redeemed. But I don't know about you, but for me, in those descriptions, I think we found ourselves in those first seven churches. We found ourselves people that are blind and wretched, wretched and poor spiritually, that we endure and we desire truth. We abandoned our first love at times of Jesus way too easily. We accept things that are simply not of God in our lives because it's just easier. And if we're honest, it's what we want more than we want Jesus. We listen to the world over the voice of God. We suffer persecution for the cause of Christ. We need to repent of our sin and we live for God. We're a stumbling block to people. And yet we point people to Jesus. We have opportunities to serve God and we look past those opportunities to serve God. We give in to sexual immorality and we're pure. Some here think you're alive, but you're actually dead before God. You don't know him. Though you are religious and pious, you don't know Jesus. I say to you this morning, come to him. His yoke is easy, his burden is light, and he offers you forgiveness today. We sin and we're pious, we're lukewarm. We are such a dichotomy. We live one way, we talk one way, and sometimes we live it and then we act another and speak another way. Happens to every single one of us. And Jesus, in the middle of all that mess, calls us continually to come to him, repent, and follow him because he loves us. He will cleanse us. He will save us. He will make us holy at the cross. In the book of Revelation, we've seen heaven explode at the worship of God. If you haven't read chapters 4 and 5, you've got to read it again. Because I'm telling you, we got to explode more in the worship of God because he's holy, he is worthy, and it's an amazing thing that we get to do now that we will continue to do for eternity. And it ain't boring one bit. I was talking to my family a couple weeks ago, and I was like, sometimes we can think heaven's just going to be church, and it's, that, that may not be the most exciting thing, I suppose. But if you've ever had a moment, I think I said this last week, if you've ever had a moment where you just felt so close to God, and you were on that mountaintop and you were like, oh my goodness, I know he's here and I know he's, he, he loves me. And that is heaven 24-7, 365, even though those numbers won't matter in heaven. That's what heaven's going to be like. And it'll never end. We've also seen heaven completely silent. Because they know the judgment that's about to fall on the inhabitants of the earth. We've seen how evil sin really is and how it's an affront to God. That it's not just, eh, God will forgive me. No, it put Jesus on the cross. It put Jesus on the cross for us. And God gives us a choice between sin and him. That's love. That really is love when you think about it. He's given each person exactly what they want. If you don't want God, God will give that to you. You don't have to have him. You don't have to have God. You can make your choice this morning. I'm not standing up here and saying anything other other than you have a choice to make when it comes to Jesus, when it comes to following the Lord. He'll give you what you want. He'll either say, no, you don't have to have me, or you can have it all. But the thing of that choice, there's a question there. Who's going to bear the consequence of your sin? Either you're going to bear it, or Jesus will. Those are the two options. And, but God gave us an option, and he didn't even have to do that. The price has been paid. The price of sin was high. It cost Jesus his life. But the very judgment of God for, that, that, that is foretold here actually points to the cross in the book of Revelation. 
Again, will you pay the price or will you accept God's free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ? We've seen in the book of Revelation how Satan will attempt to overthrow God and how that's going to fail. We've seen Antichrist and the false prophet and everything that they're going to do in the last days to try to overthrow God because in some way they think they can still win. We've seen the Bema Seat judgment, this judgment where all believers, all everybody who knows Jesus will be judged for their works. But that judgment seat is all about the rewards Jesus will give. We've seen the great white throne judgment a few weeks ago that everyone that rejected God will face the full weight of the punishment of their sin. Why do we know this? Because the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, 10 to 11, for we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others, but what we are is known to God, and I hope it is also known to your conscience. We know, according to the book of Revelation, according to the word of God, where we will end up. Either in the lake of fire, because we chose to bear the full weight of our sin, or in eternity with Jesus, because we've accepted him as Lord and Savior. We've learned that. And you know, it's, it's funny, I can sometimes hear people, again, I said this a few weeks ago, but people will say, why would God send anybody to hell? Why would God put anybody in a lake of fire? God didn't. Did God make the choice for us to sin? No, he didn't. It's kind of like saying if, if we look at um, some it's a family member that we so love, but they committed a crime that is very heinous, and they go before a court and you know they're guilty, And they have to serve years in prison. You still love that person, but do you blame the court for what they did or do you blame the person for what they did? We don't blame the court. The court acted justly, right? The court acted justly. Now, we're going to hope that our loved one changes and learns and we're not going to stop loving them. But the reality is the court acted justly and sent that person to prison. But for some reason, when it comes to God, it's like God could have just said, look, you've sinned, and what's fair is that you receive the punishment of that. What's not fair is that Jesus went to the cross in my place, gave me a way out, so I don't bear any of the penalty of the weight of my sin. And we've learned that in Revelation, and that is the entirety of Scripture, that Jesus gave us a way out. He gave us grace and mercy, and if you will simply come to him, the slate is wiped clean. And that is the hope and the joy and the beauty of what God has done for us. So now we come to the return of the king, his second advent. We've talked about it some in chapter 19 related to the battle of Armageddon, the last battle. Again, I'm going to refer to some things this morning that if you've, this is your first week catching it, you can go back and catch the rest of 18 weeks if you want to. Um, it's, it's been a good series. But if there's questions, each of the messages are listed on our app, and you can kind of go see what we talked about. And there's seven other guys that have preached these messages at our other seven locations. And, uh, you know, and and even some, there's even an eighth, because we took on Wall Lake a few weeks ago, and Doc's been preaching through the first seven churches out there. So there's a lot of messages you could hear from different perspectives, too. But... um, we heard about Jesus' second, second coming in Armageddon and also about the millennium, which is the thousand-year reign uh, right before the last battle that everybody is judged at the great white throne. But then we're with God in heaven, and the king is with us. We are his people, and he is our God. 
And so let's turn our, our Bibles to chapter 21 of the book of Revelation first. Because there's some sections, there's a section here that I didn't, wasn't able to get to last week. And I'm not, I can't spend a ton of time on it this morning. But the second part of chapter 21, um, you can, in your devices, if you don't have a Bible this morning, you can download the River Church app. And the Bible is in that app as well. Um, it's always good to follow along. But, excuse me, in Revelation chapter 21, it talks about this new Jerusalem. And, and it's got like walls of jasper and the city's pure gold like clear glass and and there's these um, foundations of the city adorned with every kind of jewel. The, the first was jasper and then sapphire and agate and emerald and onyx and carnelian and chrysolite and beryl and onyx, uh, sorry, and topaz and chrysophase, chrysophase, I don't, I'm not sure what that is, but it's, it's, a, it's a precious stone, um, jacinth and amethyst. There are 12 different ones because of the 12 tribes of Israel. And it's just this beautiful city. And there's no temple in the city because the temple is the Lord, the Almighty, because God is with us. Emmanuel is permanent. God is forever with us. And so we see this big picture of, of what's going to happen. And we don't need any, any light because God is its, is its light. And then we come to what will be like Jesus with Jesus in verses 1 to 5 of chapter 22. And so let's listen, let's listen to this. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. I'm going to stop there for a second. So we have to understand a little bit of what John's saying here and what God is telling us about this water. So as we all know, if we don't drink water for, well, maybe you don't know this, but if you don't drink water for, what is it, five to seven days, you're done. You have to have water. Water is a necessity of life, right? Now, if you can think of Israel... It's an arid place, but it's also a lot of high desert. There's not a lot of access to water. And when you're looking at the city of Jerusalem, I was able to go there. There is no river in Jerusalem. So they had to bring water in and bring it up from the bottom of the ground. And so I have a few more pictures from Israel that I had to show you this morning because this one was, this one was a little bit of a traumatic experience for me because, as you'll see in a second. So this first slide is, it all, it's nice. It's called Hezekiah's Tunnel. There's a tunnel underneath Jerusalem that has water in it. And you have this option. You can see there is a wet route or a dry route. We went down under the city of Jerusalem to go through this area. If you want to take the wet route, it is completely dark. You are covered up to your armpits in water in an underground tunnel. That would not sound fun to me at all. Maybe that sounds fun to you. You're nuts. But that some of our crew did it, and they came out at, at the Pool of Siloam, which you read in Scripture. You come out at the Pool of Siloam. But they also had an access tunnel that is called here the Canaanite Tunnel, but it's also called Hezekiah's Shaft. It's the Rose Rot right beside it. So you can see, if you go to the next one, it's tight. And I had a backpack on. And so that was me taking one picture. This is the next picture of people, I think, in front of me. I think we can go to the next one. There it is. Yeah, there's some, that's part of our crew in front of us. You can see that picture right there. But you see that little spot right there? I had a backpack on too. Big guy, small space. And I am somewhat claustrophobic. I got into this space and was like, 
Jeannie was right next to me and I'm like, I got to get out of here right now. So I, then I took this last picture. I was like, get me out. I am done. It got all blurry. I'm like, I'm moving. And I'm like, seriously, I was like stuck there for a minute going, probably about 10, it felt like a minute, but it was 10 seconds. I'm like, hmm, I'm going to get stuck out of Jerusalem. I'm going to die. You know, I mean, it was, it was a tough spot, right? So anyway, there was no water. All that to say, there's not a lot of water in Jerusalem and they had to hewn out these places to be able to get water into Jerusalem. John, or God, through John, is telling us that life is going to flow from this new Jerusalem. Because if people didn't have water, live around water in those days, they were dead. There was no pipes. There was no inside, you know, bathrooms or anything like that. If you didn't have water, people died quickly. And John is telling us that this is a river of life that comes directly from the throne of God in Jerusalem. Life will be unending. And that's the picture that's being painted here. Um, But then we move on in verse 3. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be written on their foreheads, and light will be no more. There will be the, they, will no, they will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And my friends, this is where I fall apart. Every time I read this this week, I just, my soul longs for this day. I can't wait for this. Everything pales in comparison to this, because we are going to see Jesus face to face. We will see him as he is. We will see the one who died for us. We will see the one who saved us. We will see him, and it will be an amazing thing. In 1 John 3, 2, it says this, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we shall see him as he is. We will worship Jesus. We will see him, and it's going to be amazing. It's absolutely going to be amazing. And we move on to verse 6 to 16, and it says this, And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord God, and the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of this prophecy of this book. Those are the words of Jesus right there. And he changes and says, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he, the angel, said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. It's interesting how this angel will not accept the worship of God. As a side note, we need to be careful of accepting worship as well. When people point to us as though we're something special, we got to point back to Jesus. Because there is no good in any of us. There is no good in this pastor except for Jesus. There's no good. Don't put any religious leader on a pedestal. Yes, we're held to a higher accountable account if we're a leader in a, in a church, but the reality is you don't follow me, you don't follow any of our elders, you don't follow any of our location pastors, you don't follow any of our staff. You follow Jesus. We follow him and him alone. We worship God alone. The words of this prophecy should never be sealed. I'm going, to, I'm going to keep on reading there in verse 10. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of this book, a prophecy of this book. For the time is near. Let the evildoers still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon. These are the words of Jesus again. Bringing my recompense with me 
to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may, so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. See, Jesus says, or or, or the angel says in in verse 10, don't seal it the prophecy of the book. The words of this book should never be sealed anymore. Never again. Our mouths should never be silent about who Jesus is. But there's a reason why this angel is saying this. Because in the book of Daniel, we talked about a lot in this series how the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation are closely related. Well, in the book of Daniel, the angel told Daniel this in Daniel 12.4, but you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. What a prophecy. Think about our day-to-day compared to the time that that prophecy was told. Has knowledge increased? Yeah. I mean, we look at modern medicine. We look at what I'm preaching from on these technological devices. We've had all these advancements. How busy are you nowadays? What are we traveling all the time? It ain't a camel. We're going to and fro, aren't we? We're going all over the place. In fact, you can fly to the other side of the world in a day. Okay, maybe for some places it's like 36 to... I I think I've heard we have a team going to South Africa next Friday from our holiday location. I think they said it's going to take like 33 hours to get there. So maybe a little more in a day. And some of you are going, "Uh uh-uh, don't want to fly that long. I understand. I wouldn't either. Um... But think about that. It took them, I'm going to say, half a day just to get to from Jericho to Jerusalem. I think it's only about 15 miles. Rocky terrain. We are going to and fro. It's interesting that, that, that that's the prophecy. But John says here, God tells us through John, no longer. It's time to let everyone know. Don't seal up the books of this or seal up the prophecy anymore. But let me remind us, followers of Christ, we can no longer silence the word by our disobedience, our indifference, our laziness, our neglect, or the fear of not, and not speaking up, fear of people and not speaking up. We have to stop silencing the word of God in our lives. We've got to talk about him. We've got to let people know. It still blows my mind. If you were to come up with a, with a cure of cancer, would you let somebody know or would you just sit on it? You'd let everybody know. We have a cure of something that handles the eternity of every single person. And we get worried that people might get upset because we love them enough to say Jesus loves you. And you have to make a choice about him. I don't care what you believe this morning. I'm going to say it again. And I don't care if we get tired of hearing the gospel in this place. We're going to be about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to continue to talk about it. Because there's a reality that sin requires a, requires a, 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 a price. And Jesus paid it for you. And whether you believe that or not, it doesn't make it any less true. What your experience is with the truth, or or, or, I'm sorry, with the church, stop making an excuse for you not coming to Jesus. The church is often a poor representation of who Jesus is. We are fallible sinners that need Jesus just as much as anybody else. I don't care how much people try to say how perfect they are. They're not. Only Jesus is perfect. And every single one of us needs him. Every single one. So no matter what your experience is with people that try to act like something they're not, come to Jesus. Look to him. Look who he is. 
He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. And he will save you from your sin. And you can be with him eternity in heaven. He is the only way, the only truth, the only life. No one comes to the Father except through him. No one. Come to Jesus and look to him. Come to Jesus and look to him. And then, and then God says something really interesting through John here. He says, let the evildoers still do evil, the filthy still be filthy, the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. My friends, outside of a move of, this God's, of God's spirit in our lives, the evil will still evil. The filthy will still filth. The righteous will still right. The holy will still holy. And I want to tell you something this morning. We all know in this room, if we're really honest with ourselves, every single one of us does exactly what we want to do. We have a lot of excuses for why things are the way they are. But every single one of us does exactly what we think is most important in that day, in that moment. We get a choice. We all do what we want to do. Every single one of us also knows that we are responsible for what we do. We do know that. We may want to blame somebody else for why we do what we do, but the reality is we, reality is we all know that we are responsible for what we do. And after we've looked at the book of Revelation and what God's word has to tell us, we also know that God will hold us account, to account for what we do. The question is, who's going to bear the penalty? There are one of two people. I'm going to say it again. It's either you or it's Jesus. Come to him. Come to Jesus and let him take that from you. How you respond to Jesus confirms your character. How you respond to Jesus confirms your character and it determines your eternal destiny. That's why he says those who are evil are going to be evil. Those who are filthy will still be filthy. Those who are righteous will still be righteous. Has God changed you or, or are you still who you used to be? Because he'll change you if you come to him. Hear that today. Why? Because Jesus is coming soon. He is coming soon. And for some of us in the room, that is joyful news. For some of us here, you don't believe a word I'm saying, and that's okay. I'm glad you're here. That's all right. I want you to know you're loved whether you believe or not. And some of you are like, I got a lot of work to do before Jesus comes back. Can I tell you this? No, you don't. You got to come back to him and let him do the work in you. He says that those that wash their robes in the, through the blood that Jesus shed on the cross will love and be overjoyed at his coming. Those that are outside will abhor and revile it. The term dogs is used for various kinds of impurity and malicious persons. And Jesus sent, sent, sent an angel to testify to all this as a beautiful thing and as a warning. It's, this is a final call to repent and to come to find grace and mercy at the cross of Jesus Christ. He is the beginning, the root of all salvation and, and of all the Bible. He is the descendant of David, the Messiah, and he is the bright and morning star. He's the son of God. And God makes one final push here in the book of Revelation in verses 17 to 21, where it says, the spirit and the bride say, come. And the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who desires the water, who desires, take the water of life without price. 
I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book of prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon, the words of Jesus. And then John replies and says, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord of Jesus Christ be with all. Amen. See, the... Everybody invites at this point. Everybody invites people to come to Jesus. The Holy Spirit invites you to come. The bride of Christ, the church, the people in the church say, come to Jesus. Those who have heard this message, they're saying, come to Jesus because we know it's true. Those who are thirsty are invited to come. It's one final push to say, come to Jesus. And so that's why I'm saying it again and again and again. Come to Christ. Don't stop. Don't wait Don't wait. You are loved. See him for who he is. And then he talks about how we can't change the words of this book. Revelation specifically and the Bible in total. Jesus alone is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to him except, or no one comes to the Father except through him. We don't change that. We don't have the authority to change that. And if you believe a different gospel, I have to tell you this morning, Jesus alone is the way, the truth, and the life. If you believe there is any way to get to heaven other than Christ, like how good of a person you are, or how you treat people, or whatever you fill in the blank with, it is not true, it is a lie, and it's false. And Jesus says, you will have the full weight of all of the plagues in the book of Revelation. You will bear that because you're believing a gospel that isn't real. It is Jesus and him crucified. That is the gospel. Jesus and him crucified. That's it. And if you come to him, you'll find forgiveness and grace and mercy in your time of need. My friends, we're going to see him face to face. Have you ever sat and thought about what that's going to be like? If you haven't done that, I encourage you to think about it. We're going to see him face to face. We're going to meet our Savior. We will see and we will know. We're going to know more than we ever have before. We're going to be humbled. We're going to fall on our faces when we see him. Though it feels as though things are falling apart. When the world feels like it's falling apart today, you have to know something. All will be made right. This is the culmination. This right here is the culmination of Jesus dying on the cross and rising from the dead. This is the end of salvation. This is the completion of salvation. We'll be home We'll be in his presence forever. No more crying. No more death. All the former things are going to be gone. And we're going to be with Christ. Let the spirit and the bride say, come. Let those who hear this, they hear this, this testimony say, come. Come to Jesus. Because we're going to see him face to face. We're going to see him face to face. And I want you to hear a little bit more of that as Sydney comes to sing. Oh, 
So, come, Lord Jesus. Come. 
Jesus says, surely I am coming soon. He is coming. Will you be ready? Will you be ready? John ends his letter with the grace and the Lord of Jesus Christ be with all of us. And we need his grace. I need his grace every single day. So desperately. And you need the grace of God so desperately. Every single one of us. Will you follow him? Will you follow him now that we spent all this time knowing what's coming, seeing what's coming? Will you follow Christ? John eleven twenty five 25 to 26, Jesus says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? So do you believe this? I want to end with the quote from a commentator that said it so well. Hear these questions and really think about them as we finish Revelation. Will God accomplish his promises or his purposes? Has Satan been defeated? And if so, will he be dislodged? If his hold on the world is going to be broken, when will that be? When will the tears be wiped away? When will the dead be raised? When will the broken be healed and the old made new? Does it look like God's word will be kept? Or does it look to you like all things will go on as they always have? Let me invite you to consider what a crushing defeat the crucifixion looked like on the Friday it happened and the Saturday that followed. If anything would prove that Jesus was not the Messiah, his dying nailed to a Roman cross would. He was buried, he died. And from the ashes, a fire was woken. A light from the shadows did spring. Renewed was the body once broken. The crownless again shall be king. From death came life. From defeat came victory. From darkness came light. From despair came hope. From judgment came salvation. From shame came glory. Through Satan's purposes, God's purpose was fulfilled. By the the wicked deeds of men, God accomplished his ordained plan. From the breaking came healing. From the defiling of the Holy One comes cleansing. Because he was forsaken of God, Jesus Christ can promise his own that he will never leave them. He will never leave them. Because he rose, we know that he'll come again. So does it look to you today like he won't come again? It looked like his project had failed when they placed him in the tomb. Does it look to you like he will not triumph? It seemed that way before. Does it look to you like the wicked will not be judged, like evil will hold the field, like sin cannot be overcome, like the world cannot be made new? Perhaps. But God wants to pull off dramatic reversals that are beyond anything we can imagine. When Jesus comes again, his enemies will be as surprised as the wicked were to find the tomb empty. When Jesus comes again for his own, his coming will be as startling and rejuvenating, as thrilling as, and as heartening, as enlivening and reassuring as was his resurrection from the dead. And so I say with this commentator, Soli Deo Gloria. Glory only to God. See, this king was born in Bethlehem. The king was dead. The king rose from the dead, and the king is returning. Long live the king. Long live the king. Are you ready for this return of the king? Are you ready? Because if you're not, you can come to this king, and he will forgive you today. Come to the foot of the cross, and he will set you free from your sin. If you've been running away from him, come back to him. Let the spirit of the bride say, come. Let those who have heard this message say, come. 
And let those who are thirsty come and drink from the water of life at no price. You are welcome at the foot of the cross. Are you ready for the return of the king? Are you ready? Let's pray. Jesus, oh, thank you so much for the book of Revelation. Thank you for how we've seen you over these 19 weeks. We've heard so much about what's to come, but in the middle of all of this, we see you. And we see the cross as the overarching theme, even in the book of Revelation, that you continually say, you can be forgiven. Come to me. Hear the message of salvation. You don't have to be judged in this way. And so, Lord, today, as we know you are coming soon, we say, even so, come, Lord Jesus. But I pray that we be ready for your return. God, if there are those here this morning that don't yet know you, I pray that they would call on the name of the Lord and be saved today. God, for those that have been running away from you, I pray that they would hear your loving voice calling them home and saying, just come back. Come and reason with me. And drink from the, the water of life at no price. Come, Lord Jesus. We continue to worship you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.